0: Hello, everyone. I'm Robin Hattersley from Campus Safety Magazine. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm interviewing Ray Gerwitz, who is executive director and deputy chief security officer at the University of Texas M.D. Anderson Cancer Center. He is also one of this year's director of the year finalists. In our interview, Ray talks about M.D. Anderson's overall experience in response to the coronavirus pandemic. He also describes how he and his department improved his organization's response to COVID-19 by helping develop how and where people enter the campus, increasing physical control for PPE, and helping to implement a physical moat between clinical and academic areas of the campus. So here's my interview with Ray Gerwitz. Enjoy the show. Ray, Please provide me with some background information on how uh, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center was affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, did you have patient surges? To what extent? Security threats? Cancellation of other procedures to make room for COVID patients? Things like that. What did you have to deal with?
1: Sure. I'll tell you. You know, looking back um, after a year now has gone by, it's almost easier to list what we didn't have to deal with. You know, it was a um, it was one of the most profound things I found moving through the entire course of the last year and our response collectively as an organization is just how much it touched everything that we do. And um, I don't think, and no, I certainly didn't, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but I certainly didn't have that in the forefront of my mind when we entered into this. You know, I, I was like many, I thought, you know, it'll, it'll be here for a while. It'll impact certain things um, for a certain amount of time but I had no way of understanding. And I don't know how many of us could have where we would end up a year later. And, um, you know, as we started off at MD Anderson, I'll tell you that, you know, I look at it from a population perspective, you know, it kind of impacted the different populations differently. So what I mean by that is if you look at our patients, you know, what impact did it have on them? I mean, it had a, a very profound impact, right? Like any other healthcare institution, we had significant um, limitations and restrictions around visitation. To this day, we still have zero visitor policy, where, you know, except by exception, can I say that except by exception? Through exception, um, that, that we promote some of that. But for all intents and purposes, we're still under um, a zero visitor restriction, where that, that has a profound impact on, on the care models and, and the patients and the staff that deal with that each and every day as they work through difficult conversations and difficult moments. Um, Screening and testing have become a part of everyday life for the patients when they enter the hospital. Everybody is screened each and every day through designated entry points to um, better deal with and try and limit any potential um, introduction of the virus onto our campus. That's not, you know, as a healthcare institution, you know, if we go back to February of last year, you know, our, our goal was to be very welcoming and be very, you know, part of the community and allow people to enter and, and feel welcome and feel as if, um, you know, it was just an extension of the community you live in. That's all changed now. And, you know, like everywhere you go, you know, you can't go into a coffee shop anymore without having your temperature taken. So it's had a very profound impact on, on our patient population. Um, if I look at another, another group that was impacted and you look at just the staff, we have, as you can see here, I'm, I'm doing this interview from home. Um, immediately, we were, there were a lot of people that were sent home. If you weren't directly attached to um, patient care, you were asked to go home and perform your, your duties remotely. There wasn't a whole lot of planning that was allowed to, to take place before that decision was made, right? So the term uh, flying the airplane while you're building it kind of became the way we work through things. So you would, you, know, you would send your staff home and ask them to perform the duties at home. And over time, it would, it would evolve to where now, you know, if you look back a year later, positions that you thought you could have never imagined would be at home and be making the contributions that they've made you know, prior to the pandemic are doing well. And in some cases, even thriving in an environment where they're working remotely. Um, and, I, and I do think that's, that's an important nuance to point out is the idea of working from home and working remotely um, I don't think that there's a, with today's technology and with the things that are put in place, I think you can be productive, you know, in a remote environment. And let's, let's not just isolate it and say you're at home, right? Because I think sometimes the notion that follows when you say you're working from home is that you're at home not doing anything. And that's really not, um, not where we've landed. In fact, I'll tell you that members of our senior leadership group have modeled the way in this area where they are doing their best to show that they can do some of their things from home so that there's not a, um, a negative connotation attached to that. So it's been very successful. Um, if we look back, well, today, if we look back where there's some growing pains along with it, absolutely. You know, As, as different groups and different teams were asked to go home and the, and the reason for that, that remote work approach and model was to really just to limit the number of people that were on campus and to limit the risk of exposure. Um, that, that was the goal and, and I think it's been very successful. We've had, we've had very limited um, concerns in that area. I, I shouldn't say concerns, there's always a concern, but we've, we've been very successful in preventing the spread of the virus on our campus or even the introduction of the virus on our campus for that matter. Um, so I look at visitors and vendors, how are they impacted? They were impacted you know, just as much as everybody else. Getting things done now takes a few extra steps. You have to coordinate how the person's going to get on campus where before they would just come on campus right so it goes back to the screening and, and how we, um, how we deliberately push people into certain entry points now where they where that takes place. What was the other part. Um, I missed it the was um,
0: like no staff surgery. illnesses, uh, cancellation cancellation of the other procedures to make room for COVID patients. So I assume you guys had a lot had to deal with that quite a bit as well.
1: Yeah, so the um, the patient population, we took a cohorting approach, right? Like many, where you would just cohort the patients in certain areas that have been prepared for that um, that type of a care model to take place. And as far as surges go, you know, our surges typically follow the community. Um, as, as cases rise in the community, they, of course, there's a ripple effect to that into all the healthcare organizations, um, throughout the Texas Medical Center, us being a, a part of that in, in the treatment of our patient population. We haven't seen any, um, surges outside the, the community surge, if you will. And I think that's a lot, you know, a lot of that is in our leadership has taken a very big, um, They've taken a great approach of sticking to the science, following the CDC guidelines and being very data-driven and very thoughtful and uh, just remaining with the science and the decision-making that they, that they make throughout the process.
0: So how did you and your department improve your organization's response to the pandemic with access control, visitor management and other security technology?
1: So access control, um, you know, it was a it's interesting, you would think when you, when you limit your access to only, you know, to far less entry points that it would be easier, right? But in some ways it's proven more difficult because now you have to, you have to understand how you configure your systems to allow um, business continuity operations to occur but still maintain the, the appropriate protection measures on the exterior of your buildings and then how people move throughout the facility becomes more and more important. So there's there's more there's more um, you have to take a little deeper look into your access control systems that that typically are just used to simply manage access and anyone with a badge is assumed to be authorized anywhere. Um, we don't live in that world anymore, right? We that we left that back in March, <laughs> and and now it's become um, it's become a much more um, a much more meaningful and thought-provoking exercise along the way of, of access control. And, and the teams that have that are responsible for that within our organization have just done a terrific job partnering, not only doing the work, but partnering with other stakeholders within the institution to make sure that we can continue our operations, even in um, what I'll call an elevated security posture. And then when you look at um, visitor management has, has, has really been has been simplified from the electronic security aspect because simply we don't do a whole lot of visitation anymore. So we don't have to worry about that piece, but we do, um, we do work hand in hand with patient advocacy, patient experience and, and all the other groups to make sure that when, when people who are authorized to visit our campus show up that, um, that their needs are met, that we, we make sure that everything that they are aware of what's gonna happen when they show up on campus and how things, so that they know what to expect, right? Because when you show up, if you know what to expect, if the people who um, greet you understand the new processes and procedures, it just makes for a, um, a better experience, right? And how you manage through that. And then as far as the um, video systems go, the video systems have, have proven to be um, quite effective, as you can imagine, in, in helping us support some of our virtual patrols some of the uh, monitoring and surveillance around the campus because we simply can't get as many places because we had much more um, commitments along along the way of static assignments and things like that at the screening positions that that have forced us to move into that technology and use video to complement our efforts there a little more. And of course you can always um, use video to monitor some of the more critical entry points, screening areas and other areas of concern that, that you just can't get as many people to and you don't want people crossing in between different um, areas, especially early on, right? There's a lot of attention to not moving around in different areas of the campus and kind of cross-pollinating things, if that makes sense. So you could do a lot better with, um, with video in that regard because it doesn't take a person to be there. You just, you use the video systems that you have to your advantage.
0: Okay, now I know you have a lot of immunocompromised patients. How do you keep them from getting exposed to COVID? And, and I, I think some of, this, some of this has to do also with the next question I have was, what do you mean by creating a physical mode between clinical and academic areas of campus? and how did that work? So maybe put those two questions together.
1: Sure. Um, you know, first, I'll, I'll say that, well, I'm certainly not an expert in this area. The, uh, we have just an amazing, amazing infection control team that was very engaged from the beginning, um, worked with all groups from every area on how to best protect their staff, the patients and the visitors. Um, We went through that early on. They decided that um, issuing everybody who enters our campus a surgical mask was was the decision that we wanted to pursue. So they do that even to this day. If you come on our campus, um, you're, you're, giving, you're given a new surgical mask to wear each time to help protect the entire community within our facilities. So that's been very, um, very successful. I thought that was a very, um, very big commitment from our organization to take that on and to get that done. Um, leadership, of course, they've, they've, they've been 100% um, communicating and, and, or transparent in what they're trying to communicate day in and day out. I think having that unified message and showing strong leadership in a, in a time like this has really helped to um, keep everybody on the same page, keep everybody giving the same message to their people. Um, what was early on was a very, um, was a time when, when things were changing very rapidly, right? So having that important communication each and every day throughout your organization made it, um, made it a lot easier for us to come together and, and find ways to um, limit any infection and to protect our patients the best that we can.
0: And what about the moat? Can you explain that a little bit?
1: The moat. So um, in in our campus, we have a, a shared space within our campus between really all the different groups, whether that's uh, patient care, research, administrative, and all along, everything in between really. Um, while that has a lot of advantages day in and day out in a non-pandemic world, in the pandemic world, the idea is to try and isolate um, the patient care spaces so that you can best protect the patients that um, you have a duty to care for, right? so. Our leadership made the decision early on to effectively create a bubble within the hospital and use electronic security and even physical barriers to limit the way people move in and around the complex on behalf of making sure that the patient care spaces were properly protected um, each and every day and that there was no unintentional access that may um, introduce problems for us. So when you hear the term moat within, uh, within MD Anderson lingo, that, that's really a way of just saying more or less that we've created this, this bubble to best protect our patients, um, much like you would see a moat around a castle to protect that. So that was kind of, that's the word that uh, has kind of stuck with everybody. But really, it's just about how do you, how do you leverage um, the access control systems? How do you take a look at different um, ingress and egress paths to make sure there's really no unintentional access by an outside group that may introduce the virus into the patient care space. That's really what it was all about.
0: And um, now you mentioned earlier how your hospital basically issued um, surgical masks to everybody who came onto campus. How did you organize, address? Because there were a lot of shortages of PPE um, especially at the beginning and maybe even now. How did your organize, organization address the shortages of PPE during the pandemic?
1: Yeah, so it really goes back again to leadership and and the idea of, of one, one MD Anderson. You know, we're all in it together. Early on there were there were efforts to shift PPE from other groups into the patient care space to make sure that we had enough to cover um, our patient care responsibilities. So whether it be a research group or another group that may have um, inventories of PPE on hand, those were all brought to the patient care space to to increase immediate supplies. Following that, it was really just the hard work of our supply chain team and our materials management team to leave no no stone unturned in in acquiring PPE. Um, There were were programs for um, how do you look at the reuse of PPE? How do you make sure you're getting the most out of the PPE that you have, and then on the security side, how do you how do you centralize the storage locations? Make sure that your um, that you can protect the PPE as much as you may need to, and, and have that put in place. So it was really a an all hands on deck, and you know now it seems like a hundred years ago, but if you remember back back in the early things when it all started, um, you know it was a a really a collective mindset to um, rally everybody together and make sure that we had enough PPE for everyone in the patient care space to take care of that. So that you know whether it's people working remotely, so they're not consuming PPE, or it's shifting allocations of PPE originally not intended for the patient care space into that space, so that we can um, we can ensure that even when we the PPE that we do have, we're being proper stewards of it, and we're um, then we're allowing our supply chain enough time to to kind of catch up to the velocity of of what's going on. Right. So it it worked out really, really well, um, thankfully. And I think that's just due to the hard work of all, you know, day in and day out of all the men and women that that work with MD Anderson being committed to, you know, Putting patient care as, as the number one priority and that, that really served us um, well, even to this day.
0: And is there anything else you'd like to add? Any sage advice you'd like to give to other hospitals on how you guys handled COVID and COVID and, and the security issues around COVID?
1: I you know, I think the two pieces I would I would like to leave this conversation with are really the first is, you know. From the security perspective, I think the uh, the response to the pandemic has created partnerships, opened new value streams, um, has put us in positions we've never been in before. I'd encourage um, the leadership of the of the healthcare security teams to really really look at those partnerships and 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 mature them. Use the uh, the use the gains that you've been able to make whether that's internally, externally with your with your vendors, and most importantly within your own uh, hospital environments, use those as inertia to really get your teams engaged and, and make a lot more. Um, I shouldn't say make a lot more, because everybody's doing a great job with their, you know, how they generate value for their organizations. But just look at new ways that you can um, that have kind of presented themselves. Where you can bring value to your organization and embed yourself within the uh, the success, collective success of the organization, I think is just one thing to, you know, when you when you walk away from this and you you look at the after actions and you look at all the reports that are written, think of what new doors have been opened and how you you and your teams can can advance um, success in areas you never even thought before could be possible. And then on the other side of it, I think it's important, you know, and this is what I'd really like to close with, you know, we've made a lot, of, a lot of great strides in the response to this pandemic. But I think as we sit here on March fifteenth, right, twenty twenty one, a year after this all started, I think it's important to close with a reminder that, you know, it's not over yet, right? We still have a, a quite a ways to go, you know, whether that, whether you look through the lens of um, of simply, you know, containing the virus and reducing the numbers and vaccination and all of those things that are that are so important to, to get these things under control. But then, when you start to think about what is what is the return return to normal operations look like, right? And how do you um, how do you thoughtfully look at the triggers that are gonna that are gonna have a response where you can still remain flexible enough to to navigate the future and um, that's what I think is gonna be really important is not, not getting too far ahead of ourselves and relaxing, understanding that we're still in this and that we, um, you know, we can learn from it right now just like we did the first day when everything started, right? So that's, that's kind of the approach I take. Every day we learn something different and um, look for where we've brought value and see how we can sustain that value one year, three years, 10 years from now as an organization.
0: You know, I'm really glad you brought up the the reminder that we're not over yet. I mean, the 1918 pandemic lasted nearly three years. Granted, you know, we've got vaccines now, whereas before we didn't. But that's a really good reminder. And another great reminder, too, is that, you know, whenever there is crisis, there is also opportunity. So, sure. uh, you know, there, where, let's take advantage of the opportunities that are presented. This is a horrible place. <laughs> way to have to learn and learn about these opportunities, but you know, might as well take advantage of them while we can. So Ray, thank you so much. Appreciate your time.
1: Thank you, Robin. I appreciate it. Have a good All day. Right.